first service, they only played about half of the video and where it went to the stuff from CBM, they just stopped. I say they and I mean my children who were running the booth. <laughs> so we had to start again. We weren't gonna watch me again, so they fast forwarded through me on screen. Can you imagine how wonderful that would be if you could do that today, <laughs> right here now? <laughs> well, let's, let's get into the sermon. We've started a... <clears throat> Don't encourage him. Don't encourage him. <laughs> Don't encourage him. So we started a new sermon series called Dayspring. I'll explain a little bit more about that title as we go. Uh, but I want to begin with this. Names are important, aren't they? Sometimes we're named after a person, and that can be a special reminder of kind of a history that we have in our family, or maybe a relative or friend of some kind. Sometimes we're named just for the meaning of it. The meaning is really special. Uh, the name Gordon, for example, means man from a three-sided hill. I don't know. I don't know. That's just what it means. Not so special, maybe. But some of us have more meaningful names. Uh, but sometimes we get a name like a nickname. And that nickname reflects something of our character or part of our story in some way. I had a friend growing up, and everybody called him Powerhouse because he had these like incredible muscles. So we called him Powerhouse. I've never really had much of a nickname myself. Uh, sometimes people try to call me Gordo. And for any of the Spanish speakers here, you know why I don't want people to call me Gordo. It means fat man. <laughs> we don't need to point that out. Um, but there, there's one person actually who attends the first service, Albert. Uh, Albert comes from Jamaica. And they have incredible respect for their pastors in Jamaica. <clears throat> And, uh, <laughs> and so he calls me Sir G. I like that, Sir G. I think that's the coolest nickname I've ever had, so I, I hope you'll all start using it. <laughs> Names can be important. Names can mean something. And today we're going to get into some stories of names and what they mean, as well as three songs. But I want to begin with the first song, which is probably one of my favorite traditional Christmas carols. We can put up the lyrics here on the screen. <clears throat> I'm concerned because some of you don't realize that's a joke. So <clears throat> the song is called The Joker by Steve Miller, the Steve Miller Band. You, know, you maybe know this song. Here's the lyrics. The first four lines of the song go like this. Some people call me the space cowboy. Yeah. Some call me the gangster of love. Some people call me Maurice. Because I speak of the pompatus of love. Now, what is that all about? Well, as Steve Miller is singing, you might not realize this. Maybe you've sung along to the song in your car or wherever for years and not known what he's saying. But in the first three lines, Steve Miller is referencing three of his other songs. So he's telling more of a story. He's referring back to something he's already sung about. He's saying, this is my story. He's got a song called Space Cowboy. He's got a song called Gangster of Love. He's got a song called Maurice. So he's reminding his audience of the stories that he's told them before. And of course, we all know what a pompatus is. Right? Am I the only one? No? OK. Pompatus is a made-up word. He misheard a song by Vernon Green, 
And in that song, Vernon himself had made up a word. And so this is what we end up with, a, a nonsensical word that still kind of sounds kind of fun and catches your ear. So on the fourth line, even though it's not his own song, he's referring yet again to another song, a doo-wop song. Um, and so there's this reference back to something else. A greater story is being told by referring back to something else with those names. Those names are telling greater stories. And so we want to take that idea and go into now, back into Luke chapter 1, where there's our second song. This is a song that's sung by Zechariah. Zechariah is an older man. He's found out miraculously that he and his wife are going to have a son. That son's name will be John. You may know him as John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. John is a cousin of Jesus, and John will point the way to Jesus, preparing the way for him. So Zechariah is very excited because he's going to have a son, period. That's exciting news. But even more, he's excited because his son has a great honor to point towards the Messiah, the Savior, that his people have been waiting for for a long time. So he's excited because he's going to have a son. He's excited because his son has a great honor. And he's excited even more because there's a Messiah coming. Finally, the long-awaited rescuer is on the way. And he talks about that as if it's the bursting forth of a new day, a new dawn. And from darkness now into light. Let's go to the next slide where we look at the verse here. Luke 1, 78 to 79, at the end of his song, he says this, Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. So he says this morning light, this new dawn is about to break. It's going to be a new day for all of us. And it's going to be this, this one who's coming, this morning light, is going to lead us to peace, to wholeness, to shalom. And what's so interesting about this uh, passage, these two short verses, is there's a name in here that you probably can't see in English. There's uh, something being referenced here from a previous psalm. And you see, I've underlined the words, the morning light. Well, that's translated in different ways in English. And I want to take you to an explanation of that now on the next slide. So it's translated in the King James as Dayspring, and that's the word I've chosen to use for this series as a title. Um, it's also translated as morning light or dawn or rising sun, but it has an even more unrelated seemingly meaning uh, that will probably surprise you. So the word translated dawn, Anatole, can refer to the sprouting up of a plant and the rising of a star. And its usage gave it a messianic connotation of branch. So those seem like two very different ideas, right? Like the sprouting up of a plant and the rising of a star. But you can see there's this similarity and something is bursting forth. You know, as the sun rises or as a star comes up in the sky, it bursts forth in a new way. As a sprout comes up from the ground, especially in spring, you know, it bursts forth. So there's this, this kind of connection in that word. And that word, when it was used about a plant, it had this connotation in the Greek of the branch, which was a, a word used for the Messiah, the Savior. That might seem really strange, and I'm going to get into explaining why that is today. But, you know, just in case you think, wow, geez, these ancient languages of Greek and Hebrew sure are weird. We'd never do something like that in English. Well, let me just show you an example of how we do the same kind of thing, where there's two very different ideas in the same word. 
So right now, what I want you to do is picture a crane. Picture a crane. Take a moment just to get an image of your mind of a crane. You've got it? Okay, now raise your hand if you're picturing a bird. Okay, now raise your hand if you're thinking of a machine that lifts heavy things. You see? Two totally different meanings for the same word. And it's the same kind of thing that's going on here. There's this idea of a sprouting plant or a rising star. And it can refer to both. Now, obviously, in that first passage of Zechariah, there's this obvious sense of a sun rising, a dawn of a new day. But there's another meaning that the people would have heard, and that was that of branch. And I want to explain that a little bit further. Um, and so that, that came from a definition by David Garland in the exegetical commentary on the New Testament. I actually said it this time. In the first service, I couldn't say exegetical, so I, I, I practiced between services. All right, so on the next slide, I want to show you one example from Numbers 24, 17. This is an example of where that language was used. And uh, here it's being referenced as a star. And this is a um, sort of a statement that's come to mean, comes to point towards the Messiah. It says, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. So what it's saying is this Messiah is going to spring forth. He's going to sprout up. He's going to rise up. And this Messiah will come in power to destroy our enemies and to bring us salvation. And so you see the image there here. It's the star being used. Let's go to the next slide. Now this is in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, it says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David. You remember David? He's the greatest king that Israel has ever had. A raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. So here we're seeing two names, two titles. One is branch, which still seems strange to us, but we're going to get to it in a moment. And the Lord is our righteousness. So there's a couple senses to that. You can see that this, this person, the branch... He's going to reign as king. He's going to be wise. He's going to bring justice and righteousness to the whole land. And so this righteousness, the Lord is our righteousness. There's a couple senses we could, we could take from that. Um, and I think we should hear it this way. One is that the king, he's the rightful king. He's the only legitimate one. He's the only one that can do this. The Lord is our righteousness. So the Lord is the one who is the rightful king. The Lord is the one who will rule and reign. And this sense that the Lord is the one empowering the branch to accomplish this justice and wisdom that will bring peace and righteousness to the whole land. But the other sense of righteousness is that he's going to be the one that makes things right. He's going to fix the problems that are broken. He's going to deal with the pain, the suffering, the sin that we all experience and contribute to. So the Lord is our righteousness. This branch will be our savior, the rescuer. As we think about, you know, what we've experienced, last week we talked about the darkness and how we need a Savior to come and bring light. The darkness covers the land, and it's too much for any one of us to overcome. It covers the whole world. And so we long for, we look to someone who can bring a light bright enough, strong enough, big enough to defeat the darkness, to push back all the sin and brokenness in our world, to bring healing and life. We need a Savior. We need a rescuer. 
Here we're being given this image of a branch. We, we need somebody, a branch, to come and make things right, to make us right with him. Who is that person? The branch? The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is the rightful king. The Lord is the one who is going to make all things right. Now let's understand this image of the branch a little bit better, because I know you're probably thinking, like, I, I don't understand where that comes from. Well, it, we have to go to um, Isaiah chapter 11. And what happens in Isaiah chapter 10 is we see there's a whole forest. We're given this vision of a forest, and then it's cut down. It's clear-cut because of sin, and God comes in judgment and brings it all low. And then chapter 11 starts, and it says this. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. So you see the picture here is of a, a tree that's been felled in a forest that's felled. And the language here in the New Living Translation says that this is David's family. That's just to make it clear for us who maybe wouldn't get it. But actually what it's referring to is Jesse, David's father, which is to say the entire like, kingdom, all the kings are wiped out and scrapped back down to the beginning. This starting from a blank slate. Everything's cut down. We're going all the way back to Jesse, even further back than the great King David. And now it's just a stump. And so out of that stump will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. Have you ever been in a forest or somewhere and you've seen a stump that's now growing a new branch out of it all? It's kind of a cool thing to see. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, he will delight in obeying the Lord. How is it that the branch... Who is this branch? What is the branch going to do? What we're seeing here is that the rightful king is empowered by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit will give wisdom and understanding, counsel and might. So the Spirit of God gives strength, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. And this comes from, this comes out of this place of the fear of the Lord. This rightful king will be aligned with God, doing things God's way, honoring God and obeying God in all things out of awe and reverence, fear of the Lord. So this branch, our Savior, this rescuer, this Messiah, is going to be empowered by, filled by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit brings wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge. And then it says this, he will delight in obeying the Lord. I want you to think about the kinds of leaders that we have in our world today. It would be rare that we would be able to look at them as in any kind of glowing light like this. And it would be impossible for any one of our leaders to say that they have the knowledge and mind of God. Now, it's impossible for them to claim that with any truth, but some of them will. I know exactly what God wants us to do. Follow me. But wouldn't it be amazing to have a leader who knows, is counseled by God himself, that has all the knowledge of God at his disposal, that has all the strength and might of God, the wisdom of God through the Spirit of God? Wouldn't it be amazing to have a leader who has knowledge and is so oriented around the goodness of God that makes goodness appear everywhere they go? That's good news for us, that this branch, the rightful king, 
is empowered by, filled by, and, and compelled by God in every way. So the rightful king is deeply rooted in the life of God and the way of God. He delights in doing what the Lord wants. So that's the image of the branch and where it comes from. But this song in Isaiah 11 is going to continue on. We're going to look at it to understand. This is describing the rightful king, but now it begins to describe the way that he begins to make things right. So in the next verses, listen to how he makes things right. It says, He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. Wouldn't it be amazing if in your school when you were growing up, you weren't judged by your appearance? Wouldn't it be wonderful if in your workplace, the people who were treated the best weren't the people that looked nice and shiny? Wouldn't it be good if our world didn't operate on appearances alone, but understood with substance and valued people for truth and reality rather than just how they seem on the outside? Wouldn't it be incredible if in our world today people were allowed to be themselves with authenticity and not hide away? Well, this one, this rightful king is coming and he's not going to judge by appearances. He goes deeper than the surface. He deals with reality. He doesn't make decisions based on hearsay. This is not a leader who rules based on rumors or things that someone could have made up. This is a king, a ruler, who, who understands the truth and knows what's right and doesn't deal with all these random facts that come his way and rumors. Wouldn't it be wonderful if in our world today decisions were made based on wise, truthful understanding and real knowledge rather than people pressuring one another, talking behind each other's backs, making things happen. Wouldn't it be incredible? Well, that's what this rightful king will do. And it goes on to say he will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. Have you ever had a situation where you felt like you were being oppressed or put down? A situation where you felt like it was very unfair, that your voice wasn't being heard? that you had no opportunity to participate in the systems around you, no opportunity to change your circumstances. You were held down. The thumb of the man was on you. Wouldn't it be nice if we lived in a world where all the decisions were made with fairness, that no one was exploited, no one was taken advantage of? You didn't have a manager that would call you up and twist your arm to taking the shift so that they could have an extra time off with their family or go off with their friends to do something crazy. Wouldn't it be nice if you had a leader who didn't exploit you and used you for their own benefit? This rightful king is one who won't do that. He brings justice to the poor. For those who are uh, aligned and without uh, the resources they need, he will make sure that they get what's right and what they need and what is just and what is good. That's a great leader. That's a rightful king that I want to follow. Uh, in the, the book, Helping Without Hurting, poverty is described in four ways, not as a lack of resources, but as a, a, a something lacking in relationship, in four kinds of relationships. A lack of relationship with God, a lack in our relationship with ourselves, a lack of relationship with others, and also a lack in relationship with all of creation. 
And the good news of Jesus is that Jesus comes to deal with all of those kinds of poverty. Jesus restores our relationship with God. He restores our understanding of ourselves. He restores and makes it possible to live with forgiveness and life and joy with one another and to treat the world around us not in an exploitive way, but in a way that brings flourishing and life and fruitfulness like he intended from the beginning. He will give justice to the poor. What kind of poor are you today? Maybe you have a struggle making ends meet. Maybe you just are lonely and feeling discouraged. Maybe you are looking at the world around you and feel overwhelmed by the problems you see. But this tells us there's good news, that there is a rightful king who will bring justice and make fair decisions. It says, the earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. This is not like a guy that has no power. You know, this is not like a political leader that's all talk, and then once they get in office, nothing actually happens. No, not at all. When this branch, the rescuer, the Messiah, comes, even one word will destroy the wicked. As he breathes out, gone, done, dealt with. Wouldn't it be nice to have a leader who is able to accomplish exactly what he sets out to do? Wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a world where that person was king, who is righteous and good and looks out for the people who are downtrodden and and, uh, marginalized? Wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a world where that person actually had the power to make things right, the ability to turn things back to how they should be, to bring healing where there's brokenness, to make things whole and alive and good? Well, of course it would. And then it says this, describing him even further. It says, he will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. I know that sounds weird to us. That's not the kind of language we have. Let me kind of give you an understanding of that. First of all, um, if you've ever had like a robe, you come out of the shower or something, you know that you need a belt to keep it all together. Can we disagree on that? We understand that. I don't have to go further with this image. So you need the belt to keep it all together. You need the belt to make sure things are right, okay? It holds you all together. Now, in this day, if you've got a robe or whatever you call those things, they need a belt to keep it all together. The belt holds it all together. And the truth like an undergarment? Well, that's, that's a weird image. Uh, truth like underwear? But come on, that sounds funny. Like, Right? But it's the idea here that even in his most intimate places, the places, there's no secret. There's nothing hidden. It's all truth. Even in the most private parts of his hidden heart, it's all the same. It's truth. It's good. It's righteous. There's nothing untoward about him. So he will wear righteousness in terms of he's the right king and he will make things right. That's that's who he is. It holds him all together. That's what he's about. And even in the most secret, intimate ways, he is good and righteous and truthful. Isaiah continues on with this song, and now he begins to describe the impact in the world of this rightful king's right working. Let's go to the next slide. It says, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. We're seeing this really interesting image here that's describing an incredible peace that happens within all of creation, the whole world now. 
is impacted by what Jesus is doing. It's not just that we as individuals or maybe together collectively as one another. It's the, the entire, even the existence of creation in our world is impacted by his leadership. He's reconciling all things to himself. So even a wolf and a lamb can lie down together. A leopard and a baby goat. Like, if you're the baby goat and you see a leopard, you're not sitting down and having a chat. You're running off. But no, when, when the Messiah, the branch, is making all things right, there is not force and violence. But his kingdom is marked by this incredible peace that throughout it, in every way, that peace is experienced. And it says, in fact, a little child will lead them all. This is not, again, this is not a leader who is leading by force and violence in the way that we're used to in our world that cracks down at the slaves. This is, it's, there's this gentleness, there's this humility that he's leading with influence. A child can do this kind of leadership in the kingdom of God. And so the branch, the Messiah, brings about this incredible peace in the world. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. This isn't just for one people in one place at one time. It's for the whole world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to bring back, bring back the remnant of his people. So those who feel exiled and far away and removed even from themselves, removed from one another, he brings us home. He allows us to experience that settledness, that peace and satisfaction. He makes all things right. Maybe you've had one of those kinds of days, maybe on a summer day, you're sitting by a lake or by the beach, and it just feels like all is right in the world. There's that moment where you get a sense of what God's kingdom could be like. And as the song continues on, there's a little bit more, but it, it, it continues and rolls through chapter 12, and let's go to there now. And the song ends in this way. It says, In that day you will sing, I will praise you, O Lord. You were angry with me, but not anymore. Now you comfort me. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. As this song comes to an end, it's just a song of incredible celebration. God has come near. The Savior has come to save me. God has come to save me. There's comfort for all the pain and suffering in our world. There's no anger between God. The relationship with God is being restored by this Messiah, by the branch. There's comfort. There's rescue. There's trust. And we're not operating out of fear for our leadership. We know that our leader is good and kind and looking out for our best interests, not his own. He's not in it for himself. The Lord is my strength. He empowers us for this new life. And we sing in victory. The branch comes that all of us get to celebrate as victorious people. No one's left out. No one's excluded. No one's taken advantage of so that some people can have while others don't. Everyone gets to be part of this kingdom if we would follow this king, the rightful king. And now let's go into the third song. Let's come back to Zechariah as he's there at the end of Luke and look at part of his song earlier than we read before. 
Zechariah burst forth. And listen carefully to this language that's here. You'll hopefully recognize how it reflects what we've covered already. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. We've been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. This great branch, this rescuer, has come near to us. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. That that branch, that leader, that Messiah is coming amongst us to make things right. That rightful king is coming here now. A new day is dawning. Something new is springing up from the ground. We have this certain hope being realized in this moment. And Zechariah is just exuding joy. He's ecstatic about what he sees on the horizon. He's incredibly thankful for what God is doing now. And it's something that we can take part in even still today. As a new day is dawning in our world, as the rightful king is taking ownership of our hearts and our lives here amongst us. We can serve God without fear. We don't need to be afraid of God. We don't need to wonder if we're good enough for God. We don't need to wonder if we look like we have it all together. He's not judging by our appearance. We don't need to scramble and try to work and accomplish some kind of favor from God. We don't have to try to earn anything because he loves us as we are. He sees our reality and loves us. We don't have to live in fear. And the brokenness within us, the things that are wrong about us, the ways that we sin, the way that we aren't taking our delight in God, like the branch did, the ways that we take our delight in other things that draw and drain life away from us, the way that we've clung to things that are wicked and twisted and dark, becomes to clean and make whole and renew in holiness. He makes things right. We live in righteousness for as long as we live. The rightful king makes it right in the world for us in our lives. That's incredible good news. And Zechariah recognized that good news, and we can today as well. To see that God is bringing about something wonderful, and that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. It's not just some quaint story of a child lying in a straw bed. No, this is a reality that is shifting everything in the world. Jesus is transforming the entire thing, all of creation. Jesus, the branch, the Messiah, the rescuer, is taking everything that's been cut down to a stump and starting again with something beautiful and new, bursting forth in new life, new opportunity, new possibility. And today, if you feel as if your life has been cut down to a stump, that you've been separated from God, that hope is lost. Today, if you feel as if there's no way that the world can ever change, no way that it can all be made right, nothing is fair, nothing is true, nothing is good, there's no way it'll ever change. If that's how you feel, then today there's good news for you. The darkness is breaking. The day is springing forth. The branch is sprouting up from the ground to new life. A new tree is growing. 
a reality that's transforming the landscape around us into light and life, all in the person of Jesus, the Messiah, the branch, the rescuer. It's here. It's coming. It's happening. And through the Advent season, we celebrate that hope that we have. Not just that Jesus has come that one time as a baby and then grew up to be a man. No, we also celebrate that he will come again. And we look with anticipation to that day where he will take his throne in the world. And he will not just look at the world and say, yes, as good as it can be. No, he looks at it and says, I'm making all things new. He's redeeming, he's transforming everything into something beautiful and good. His light shines in glory and goodness. Beautiful day dawning for all the world, now in Jesus, and it's coming even more. So now we have such a great hope to look forward to, and that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. That anticipation, that desire to see the light shining in our world and through us. That we also become, like the branch, righteous that we reflect his character, we reflect his likeness, and we join him in his work in bringing about the goodness, the rightness in all the world. We make things new along with him. We bring life. We bring the good news of Jesus. And in a moment, we're going to gather around the king's table. We're going to celebrate in this feast that he gave us, a meal where Jesus established that we, like a stump, draw our nourishment up from the ground or from him. That our strength and life is found in him and out of that bursts new life. We're going to celebrate this meal where we recognize that Jesus accomplished something that none of us could. He dealt with sin and he dealt with death. And he didn't do it with violence. In fact, he received and absorbed all the violence in the world. But he demonstrated that he was greater and more powerful still by being raised from the dead. We have an incredible hope in Jesus, and we're going to celebrate his meal together today, reminding ourselves of who he is, the Savior, the Messiah, and what he comes to do to bring about a new day, a new age of light and life for all of us. I'm going to pray, and then our worship team will come. I'll give further instructions in a moment. Jesus, there's so many things in our world and even in Scripture that are hard to understand. And so we look to you and ask that by your Spirit you would give us knowledge, you would give us wisdom and understanding, that you would guide us in the truth, that you would strengthen us to follow you and make us like you. Jesus, we see as we gather around this table an incredible reminder of what you're doing in the world. You're taking all the brokenness upon yourself to bring healing. You're taking all and absorbing all the death that has a shadow everywhere in every corner of the world, and you're destroying it through your own life that conquers the grave. So today we gather around this table. We look towards the light. We see your life, and we want it within us. We want to see you make things right within ourselves. We want to see you make things right in the world. Fill us. Fill us and make it 
possible for us to join you in your kingdom work of restoring all things, to bringing about beauty in all the broken places, to bring healing and life and light to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be passing around the the bread and the cup. If you need gluten-free bread, there is a Ziploc baggie here. If you don't see it come by you, just wave to one of those serving and they'll help you get that. But as the plates are passed, uh, you can pass them and then take the bread and cup and hold on to those. Once everyone has had a chance to take those, um, we'll, I'll say a few more words and we'll eat them all together. Um, but for now, we'll, we'll sing as the plates are passed. expected Jesus born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us let us find our rest in thee Israel's strength and consolation Hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, Born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring by thine own eternal spirit. Rule in all our hearts alone By thine all-sufficient merit Raise us to thy glorious throne Here is love as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood, who his love will not remember. Who can cease to sing his praise? He will never be forgotten Throughout heaven's eternal days. On the Mount of Crucifixion Mountains open, deep and wide 
Through the floodgates of God's mercy, flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice Kiss the guilty world in love. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kiss the guilty world in love. stop him, not even death. So today we want to trust in him, draw our own source of life from him and him alone. And as we eat and drink this bread and cup, may the life that was in him be in you also. Eat and drink. close today, church. Um, I invite you to continue to feel welcome to worship through giving, and let me end with this closing prayer. O oh God, in the sending of your Son, Jesus, to be born of Mary, your word became flesh, and we have seen a new and radiant vision of your glory. His name is above every name, the Prince of Peace and Savior of all. In him we have been brought out of darkness into your marvelous light. Prince of Peace, may you go with us this week and continue to prepare our hearts in anticipation of your arrival. In your name, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week, church.